episode then thanks for coming back for more i got some feedback and i promise i will enunciate i will not mumble so much and i will not sound like i am reading so much so let's uh, go forward with that sorry this episode is coming out so long after the first i had the basic script ready for this episode last thursday but then i realized that uh, on monday the day i'm actually recording this Netflix was going to release its subscriber numbers for quarter three, 2016. So I'll get into those a little bit later, but I thought it'd be a good idea to have that information for this episode because this episode will mostly be a deep dive on Netflix, uh, which is how I'm going to take these first few episodes, deep dive on Netflix and on Amazon and Hulu and, and so on and so forth. But before we begin with that, let's start with some news that I think is uh, appropriate for the streaming wars. Okay, and we're going to start with uh, Hulu, which has dropped its price for new members from $7.99 a month to $5.99 a month for the next year. I saw this, and of course, because I, I view this as a big battleground, the first question I had is, well, why would they do this? Well, I, the, the first and most obvious answer is for more subscribers. You know, early in the year, Hulu dropped its free service. Okay, Hulu used to be Hulu and Hulu Plus. Hulu was free, and Hulu Plus was what you paid for. And now, Hulu is, is just the paid service. Okay. Um, now, the $2 off is only for the ad-supported service, I should point out, too. Hulu Plus, in and of itself, or just Hulu now, is actually uh, ad-supported and ad-free. Well, mostly ad-free. Uh, but that one's $11.99 a month. The $2 off is, only applies to the $7.99, I should say. So who gets more subscribers? You know, you could argue, well, more subscribers means more people watching ads, so maybe they'll make up the revenue. Sounds logical, but I, I have no clue. Okay. And by the way, I don't think it really matters. You know, this is a promotion, right? It's a limited time, you know, savings for the consumer. So that's a promotion. So losing some money is expected, really, when you do promotions, when people do promotions. Also... Hulu has a really high churn rate. Churn is uh, what the industry calls the rate of customers who unsubscribe to a service. From a study done earlier in the year by market research firm Park & Associates, uh, I found that it said that Hulu has about a 50% churn rate. Half of Hulu subscribers are likely to cancel it. Okay, that's really high. Netflix's churn rate is in the single digits. I think the, about the same is true for Amazon Prime. Might be a slight, slightly bit higher, but nowhere near 50%. So again, having a $5.99 a month bill might seem more enticing to keep it. Uh, and one last reason why Hulu might be doing this is that it's losing a major feather in its cap, which is the Criterion Collection. Hulu's film library, it's really not that great. And it does have... A deal to stream the Epix movie library, something Netflix had but dropped. But who's not the only one that has it? Uh, so does Amazon. It's actually the reason Netflix dropped it. It was an exclusive deal. Uh, who's had, from the beginning of the service, uh, the Criterion Collection, which if you're not familiar with what that is, it's a uh, collection of classic and, and great films. Um, boy, early on, they were really, really selling it. I remember I used to watch 
uh, Kevin Smith's uh, spoilers on Hulu. Uh, and he was every every episode he would take a moment go talk about a film from the Criterion Collection. So it's something they sold hard. It leaves actually next month uh, because the Criterion Collection is teaming up with Turner Classic Movies, the, the channel, to launch a streaming service called Filmstruck. And at another episode, another time, I'll probably talk about Filmstruck. I was actually kind of excited about it because I'm a little bit of a you know film buff myself. I gotta be honest, I'm kind of disappointed with the pricing plans. You know, it's uh, $6.99 for Filmstruck, and then it's $10.99 to get the Criterion Collection 2, which to me seems overpriced, but whatever. Like I said, I'll I'll talk about that later. So whose goal is to gain new customers, right? And I'm sure they hope that they won't unsubscribe when the price goes back to $7.99 next year. Okay. How well? Who is creating a lot more original programming to keep these customers? So again, they're hoping that gaining customers, then having a bunch of exclusive original content will get these customers hooked and then they won't cancel. And if you're wondering where they got that idea from, that's a page taken right out of Netflix's playbook, uh, which really leads into today's topic. Okay, Netflix. Netflix, uh, friend familiar, was founded in 1997 as a DVD by mail rental business. Uh, I can tell you back in the day, uh, the big selling point was the no late fees thing. You know, A fun story that's come out of all this is that in 2000, Netflix was willing to sell itself to Blockbuster for $50 million. You know, Blockbuster turned them down. And today, everyone knows uh, Netflix. It's ubiquitous here in America, at least. And if a kid is young enough, they would never have even heard of Blockbuster Video. So, But anyway, that was the idea. DVD by mail to compete with uh, the big... Uh, video stores at the time, Blockbuster Video and Hollywood Video. But then in 2007, Netflix started streaming movies as an add-on to the DVD rental business. You know, Netflix saw the lucrative potential and began focusing on that. Um, you know, they've had minor bumps in a row. They had a debacle when they tried to split the DVD from the streaming, make two different companies. One would be named Quickster. That was a disaster. But they bounced back. And right now, they're the great disruptor and the king of the streaming space. And at what point did everyone in the media world realize they had to worry about Netflix? Well, back in 2010, Jeff Bukes, head of Time Warner, was asked about Netflix. And he compared the company to the Albanian army. But in 2013, when Netflix released House of Cards and entered the original programming game, everyone took notice. So at that time, Chief Content Officer Ted Saradanos famously said, the goal is to become HBO faster than HBO can become us. And when they said that, people thought that was crazy, but it's, it's turned out to be prescient. Right? In a future episode, I'll look at you know, HBO and how it is trying to become more like Netflix, but you know, we'll get to that. The point is HBO had to, at some point, start its own cable-free service right? because it does have to compete with Netflix. It is having to fight the Albanian army, so to speak. Uh, to go back, though, uh, Netflix's plan was and still is to invest in original content. Uh, and I mean heavily invest in original content. In 2016, Netflix will release 71 shows. Uh, that number came from John Langrath. We'll talk about more of him in a second. But 71 shows counts kids programming. And that's a lot. You also have to look at the movies Netflix has released, stand-up comedy specials Netflix released, documentaries. They even released a concert film this month, uh, uh, Justin Timberlake. Yeah. This can be 
expensive. This can't be. It has been expensive. Their content budget for 2016, I've seen numbers ranging from $5 billion to $6 billion. Uh, and that number, according to Ted Saradanos, is going up next year, in 2017. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot more than most other uh, companies are spending. Okay, so, you know, Netflix, since it's spending so much more on original programming, it has to be strategic in its licensing deals. Okay, Netflix can't have everything. Uh, some they bid for and uh, they lose out on, or some they just choose to let go. I just moment, mentioned a moment ago the Epic's movie deal, which they had and then they let go. It wasn't exclusive. Amazon also had it. So, again, they dropped that one. But they spent a lot of money to get television shows from the CW, okay, which is why you can watch uh, like The Flash and Arrow and Supergirl on Netflix. Um, they also paid a lot of money so that way you could watch a show eight days after the season finale aired. It's a pretty big deal they signed and a strategic one and not a cheap one either. But again, pick and choose because uh, PBS kids shows did actually leave. And I know this because my son watches Daniel Tiger used to watch on Netflix, and now we watch it on Amazon. So Because Amazon got a lot of those shows. So again, take the good with bad. Lose something, gain something. Disney movies, right? I talked about that last episode. But yeah, they have, they get the new Disney movies. So, you know, they look at popularity and demographics. And, and all of them, all the streaming services are battling over demographics right now. That's going to be an episode in and of itself later on. But back to Netflix. Um, an effect of all this, all this original content and all this content creation, is what has been called peak TV. Now, John Landgraf, from a moment ago, he's the head of the FX. He coined that term, and he really blames Netflix for it. Uh, people can't watch everything because they have too many choices, right? So their great content is going completely unwatched and getting canceled because of that, which is a fair point. Of course, John Landgraf, you know, He's out of a network, so he's a businessman too. So let's not think he's all, you know, 100% just um, arguing over the artistic merits of releasing television shows. And this is partially a business decision as well. And John Landgraf also does rely on Netflix too to buy some of their shows. I mean, American Horror Stories on Netflix. Uh, recently there was a deal that uh, FX cut with Netflix to put uh, American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, their hit miniseries on Netflix. So, again... This just goes back into what I said in the first episode, how complicated these relationships really are. Although you could say, why does Netflix release so many originals? Like I, You could just say, like, I get it. Like, put out one brand new show a month or something. Why the heck 71? That's insane. Well, again, it's because they want to keep their subscribers. So they constantly have something new coming on. And that will make you more likely to stay. So one week, it's Luke Cage. Now, maybe you're not into superheroes. So... You know, the next week, it's, you know, Gracie and Frankie. Maybe that's more your speed. Or if you don't like either one of those, then the next week, it's uh, original like uh, BoJack Horseman. Or it's another original like Orange is the New Black. And so, again, constantly coming on, you're not everything's going to appeal to everybody. But, uh, you know, a lot of it will appeal to you if they make a lot of it. Again, this model works. And who's getting on board? I said a moment ago. But you could argue, wait, how do you know the model works? Right. Well, now I can talk about the Netflix earnings report that was released today. First, I don't know about stocks or earnings per share or any of that. I don't really care about that stuff. I don't, I don't follow that. I don't own stock, so I don't care. What I care about is uh, subscriber numbers. Now, 
this year, in the previous quarter, so every three months they divvy up a quarter, Netflix fell way below on their subscriber targets. Something they blamed on people dropping the service, uh, you know, because of uh, the rates going up, right? The price of Netflix has gone up. And some people didn't quite buy that, and some analysts had different ideas about that stuff. But, you know, for the most part, um, people were expecting a poor showing from Netflix today, and boy, were they wrong. They added a little over three and a half million subscribers. Now, most of those were international, but while a lot of analysts were saying that Netflix was going to stagnate and uh, eventually be overtaken by competitors like Amazon, turns out that having great and exclusive content, it just wins at the end of the day. Now, again, you might say, yeah, exclusive. I get it. Having something exclusively for the service brings in subscribers. But why do they have to be originally produced shows by Netflix and not just exclusive licensing deals like they did with CW? Do more of those. After all, the cost is prohibitive. Making your own show is expensive. I mean, again, look at Yahoo Screen. Yahoo Screen was Yahoo's attempt to enter original content streaming. Um, they're actually a casualty of the stream wars because they're gone now, right? They made a couple shows. Most famously, they made um, season six or five of Community. I forget off the top of my head. Um, but they lost a lot of money on that content. They tried to stream a football game, and they had another show called Other Space. And so, you know, it is, you know, Yahoo has having a lot of financial problems, and they've just given up on screen. Uh, but, you know, sometime at the end of the year, think I'll do an episode where I look at the casualties of the stream wars because there have been three this year. Yahoo Screen, uh, Show Me in Canada, and Presto in Australia, to name a few. So anyway, that's I'll, I'll do that by the end of the year. Play taps and everything. So how expensive is it exactly to produce your own show? Well, obviously, not every show costs the same amount of money. But the most expensive show at Netflix that's been released so far has been The Get Down. And that's cost $120 million. Now, next month, uh, Netflix is debuting a show called The Crown. And that is reportedly cost even more at $130 million. I mean, that's $120 million plus $130 million is $250 million. Now, you could rightly ask yourself, two shows, a total of like 20-some-odd episodes, and the cost is a quarter of a billion dollars? Why does Netflix think originals are so much better? For $250 million, you know how, much show, how many shows you could license? Fair enough. But when Netflix makes a show, it automatically drops it in all 190 countries that have Netflix around the world. It's, and it's exclusive. When you license a show, you pay per territory. So, again, you pay to, have, uh, to show Breaking Bad, let's say, in the United States and in Canada, and you pay a little bit more to be able to stream it in the United Kingdom. Then you pay a little bit more to be able to stream Breaking Bad in Germany. Then you pay a little bit more to be able to stream Breaking Bad in India. That's how you know shows and movies and content have been distributed worldwide, traditionally. Okay, so that can add up. And it's also why Netflix's library isn't actually the same around the world. They don't have the same offerings in every country. Something we could talk about at a later date would be these things called VPNs that some people use, but that Netflix has had to crack down on. But the point is that, yeah, if you're Netflix and you want to have a uniform library uh, around the world, this is actually the best way to do it and might even be in the long run you know, a more cost-effective way. Now, domestically, the downside is that the overall library has sort of suffered. 
particularly the movie section. Some reports I've seen estimate that the Netflix library has about half the titles it had three or four years ago. Now, the company's thinking is probably that most of that content wasn't worth having anyway, right? For every, you know, Hunger Games film that came with the Epic deal, you probably had a, you know, handful of, you know, Scout's Guide to the Apocalypse, quite frankly. I mean, who the hell wants to watch it? But it has upset some subscribers who have seen the library shrink and seen the film selection dwindle. Now, Netflix's plan to combat this in terms of movies is to make its own movies or go to film festivals and buy up a bunch of movies. They've, they've actually done both. Uh, Netflix original films began in 2015 with Beasts of No Nation. That was the first one they dropped. Uh, that year, Netflix also released The Ridiculous Six, which was the first of a four-film deal it made with Adam Sandler. So that was two last year, and so far this year, Netflix has released 12 movies, uh, with another three at least to come before the end of the year. Uh, for now, that's not much, but it's a beginning. Next year, there will be more, and probably more the year after that, and eventually next film, Netflix sorry, will have quite the film library. One thing Netflix needs, though, is legitimacy. You know, for example, when they made House of Cards, they ensured that they got Emmy consideration by actually going to upscale neighborhoods in Los Angeles, you know, the places where Emmy voters live, and paying residents to put up for your consideration yard signs. And it worked, right? House of Cards got nominated, and now it's a force at the Emmys. So will it be that easy with film, though? East of Donation got no Oscar nominations, even though it got plenty of other nods from other awards. I believe Idris Elba won the SAG Award for uh, Best Supporting Actor. Uh, again, Idris Elba, major star. And the story is set in Africa, right? Af you know, and that was the year, 2015, maybe you forgot, but that was the Oscar So White controversy, right, where they had no major nominees who were African-American. Well, I mean, that could have helped, but, you know, the movie industry tries to keep outsiders on the outside. For example, there are strict rules of how a film can get nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, one of them being it must play for a week in New York and L.A. So Netflix recently actually signed a deal with a small theater chain called iPick to release its movies in New York and L.A. And this really, really upset the old guard, you know, theater owners. In fact, the uh, head of NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners, you know, not the other one, came out against the idea. But Netflix doesn't lose sleep over what the establishment and entertainment thinks. You know, hence the whole original programming uh, strategy in the first place. So, the strategy is working financially. Subscriber growth continues. Netflix has about 47.5 million domestic U.S. subscribers and around 39 million international ones. But the question must be asked, is Netflix as good a service as it once was? Well, it's definitely changed. Uh, I un unapologetically love Netflix. I said that last episode. I love the original shows and documentaries, and I've watched a few of the movies, too. I enjoy their licensed content, but, you know, even I can see why people complain. The film library has shrunk. And the promise of Netflix originally, for those of us who've been subscribed for a really long time, was that, you know, it was one place to watch everything. Now, again, we benefit of hindsight, that was unrealistic. No one service can give us everything. Uh, but early on, you know, it seemed possible. But, I mean, come on, realistically, what, what company has the money to produce tons of original content and license all the shows and movies it wants? I mean, no one, right? 
or there is one. And that'll be what we're going to get into next episode. Amazon, a very rich company, but a company that has up until now, in terms of its streaming, has only really been dipping its toe in the water. But now, given some recent news, I, I think it's ready to um, dive right in, so to speak. So that's what we're going to go over next time. Thanks for listening this week. If you want to get in touch with me, I have started a Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and look for Stream Wars Podcast. I hope you come back for more next time. Goodbye. <laughs>